If you or someone you know is easily satisfied with the simple things in life, gets along with just about everybody, and is deathly afraid of conflict, then they might be a type nine peacemaker. Also, if you've tested or been told by other people that you are too four or a six, but you're not quite sure, then this video should help confirm or change the Enneagram type that you identify with most because those three types often mistype themselves as nines and vice versa. In fact, true nines are actually the hardest people to type using a traditional Enneagram assessment because they see a bit of themselves in every other type, which is what makes them good peacemakers, but more on that later. So with all that said, here's a quick look at all the topics we're gonna cover in this overview of the Enneagram personality type nine. We'll start off by defining their major personality traits. Then we'll go back in time a bit and cover their childhood experience. Then we'll get into the variations based on their wings. Next, we'll describe their movements of integration and disintegration based on how healthy they are. Then we'll get into their instinctual variants and triadic groups. And lastly, we'll end with some practical tips to help avoid the pitfalls of their personality and maintain a healthy sense of self. I'll even pepper in some silly topics at the very end like spirit animals, spirit country, and some others just to lighten up a bit and take a break from all the serious stuff we'll cover throughout most of the episode. All right, that's where we're going. Ready? Let's get into it. Nines are called the peacemaker because they are driven by a deep desire to create and maintain harmony in their environment. They want things to be nice and pleasant all the time. This makes their core fear essentially anything that disrupts that equilibrium. But to be more specific, they're afraid of disconnection. Nines are terrified of people or things that they've come to love falling away, which is why they work so hard to keep the status quo for better or worse. Now, if you look at the actual shape of the Enneagram, then you'll see that nines sit at the very top, which is why they're sometimes called the crown of the Enneagram, because they, more than any other type, have a natural sense of empathy for all other Enneagram types. Sometimes they empathize so deeply with other people's perspective that they lose touch with their own inner thoughts and feelings. This is why nines get a bad rap for being lazy, despite the fact that they can be highly productive and high-earning individuals. This label also comes from the fact that the Enneagram was merged with the Christian idea of the seven deadly sins way back in the day, and the deadly sin assigned to the nine was sloth. The sloth or laziness of the nine is more like a deep avoidance of negative emotions or negative realities. So sure, sometimes that's vegging out on the couch and watching Netflix for 12 hours and eating ice cream to avoid the pain of exercise, but it can also be staying in a terrible job for decades because applying for a better job would require the discomfort of putting yourself out there. Nines are masters at numbing their pain in the sweetest ways so that no one ever really calls them out for it because they look so supportive and they're so chill and so easy to be around. Ultimately though, nines are super empathetic, observant people that see a lot more than they say. And if they can only risk leaving the safety of their mental or physical cocoon in order to engage with what's really happening around them, then they can be incredible agents of change through their warmth, encouragement, and non-judgmental sense of empathy. Okay, those are some of the major personality traits for the type nine peacemaker. Now let's talk about the way the nine's childhood continues to influence the way their personality gets expressed as adults. Disclaimer, you should know that when I discuss Enneagram childhood experiences, I am always taking into account both nature and nurture. We are all born with a specific temperament, psychologically speaking. That is undeniable. But the way our primary caregivers raise us has a great deal of influence on how that temperament gets expressed as adults. Okay, 
There's my disclaimer. In their earliest years, nines often start out looking like type three achievers as they exude a sort of innocent confidence or desire to stand out. They may feel like they're an incredibly capable little person, right up until the moment they experience some sort of deep loss or family drama. Many nines experience a familial trauma early on in life, like the death of a sibling or a messy divorce, or I hate to say this one, but it's so common, some sort of sexual abuse, and that causes them to start hiding from the scary or unfamiliar parts of the world. Ironically, nines rarely describe their childhood as super unpleasant or traumatic, and that's because they develop an instinctive reaction to disassociate from painful experiences. This is also what causes nines to endure long-term relationships with extremely unhealthy people because they don't feel the pain of a toxic relationship in a visceral manner. Now, taking a step back, type nine children found that harmony was achieved at home by being a low maintenance child and that expressing their needs or emotions, especially anger, caused way more problems than it solved. Nines then begin to over-identify with the needs of both parental figures as a way of keeping the peace. This can really stunt the nine's personal growth because staying connected so closely to their parents often prevents them from becoming independent people. And instead, they learn to hide in the background of someone else's life. Another way of saying it is that nines learn to suppress their desires, which is an incredibly de-energizing pattern. And so they start looking to other people as a fuel source to motivate or direct their lives. Okay, that's just the general childhood experience for many type nines. Now let's talk about how nines can look very different from one another based on their wing. When it comes to your Enneagram wing, it can only be the number directly to the left or to the right of your primary type. So nines can either have a one wing or an eight wing. And as I've said in other episodes, there's usually one wing that's more of a natural fit with your core personality traits and one wing that's a bit more of a contradiction. For nines, that contradiction is in full force with the type eight challenger. Nines with an eight wing are called the referee, and they are one of the most confusing subtypes within the Enneagram because their core traits are so drastically different. The nine wing eight is typically more extroverted, sociable, assertive, and funny with kind of a silly yet sharp sense of humor. Eights are by nature highly energetic and ambitious as they drive towards realistic goals that bring material well-being. So this subtype tends to be more focused on attaining a comfortable home life while also pursuing a more vibrant social life when compared to nines with a one wing. The eight wing can also kind of exhaust the nines core traits and so they could be involved in competitive sports but once the game is over they crash hard. Again this type is full of contradictions so even though they may be deferential and physically lazy at one moment, the next moment they'll be super competitive and even cocky about their abilities. This also goes for their work life as they believe that they're a vital part of the team and yet they don't typically advocate for themselves when it comes to raises or promotions. Now in relationships, nines with an eight wing can really confuse their loved ones because they're prone to these intense outbursts of anger and then all of a sudden they're right back to normal like nothing happened. Eights are both very comfortable with anger and very self-assured, while nines are great at ignoring problems. So this subtype is an expert when it comes to compartmentalizing their emotions. This also makes them incredibly defensive because they're convinced of their reality, no matter how badly they or other people have behaved. When nine wing eights are going through a tough time, they can look a lot like type fours because they withdraw from the outside world and can be sort of flat in their expression. 
You know a nine with an eight wing isn't doing well when they suddenly erupt into tearfulness because they've lost even their greatest strength, which is holding back their emotions and impulses. However, even at their lowest, the eight's desire for control mixed with the nine's inability to ask for help makes this subtype incredibly difficult to support. But when they are emotionally stable, nines with an eight wing are incredibly accepting, engaging individuals that can balance silliness with stability. Okay, that's the nine with an eight wing. Now let's switch over to the nine with a one wing, which is also called the dreamer. Nines and ones actually have a lot of complementary traits in regard to their ability to suppress emotions like anger, their desire to live in an ideal world, and their tendency to have keen observations about other people and their surroundings. All of this makes nine wing ones a lot more introspective and self-controlled than nines with an eight wing. It also makes them less concerned with reality because they prefer to live in the world of ideas, symbols, or concepts, hence the nickname, the dreamer. This can make them seem almost naive because they've got this like pie in the sky view of reality. And one of the best traits that dreamers have though is their integrity. They just naturally do the right thing. They were like the model child growing up and many even looked like type threes because they never really broke the rules and not because they were scared of getting in trouble, they just didn't care to. They're just gentle souls. However, when nine wing ones aren't doing great, they can be super critical and very complacent. They tend to just sit back and smolder with resentment as they justify their lack of participation with the outside world on the basis that society is just a broken or unfair system. They can have a sort of what's the point mindset that makes them way less likely to take risks or adventure out into the world. Also, the philosophical nature of ones keeps nines from taking practical actions to advance their life or make the changes they wish to see in the world. And instead, they just read another book or take another class or start a new hobby. All of this can make dreamers really endearing because it seems so harmless, but their tendency for self-sabotage has lifelong consequences. Unhealthy nines with a one wing can end up looking like type five investigators because they completely withdraw from mainstream society and begin to cultivate this weird neurotic world in which they're so isolated that they begin to seem like they're almost on the spectrum. However, when nines with a one wing are healthy and balanced, they can be incredibly wise, gentle, and caring people that would make great therapists and teachers because they have a sort of synthetic mind capable of making all sorts of fascinating connections in order to present a vision of a far better world and a far better you. Okay, those are the wings for the type nine peacemaker. Now let's dive into their movements of integration and disintegration. There's an essential theory within the Enneagram that describes two different movements or shifts in our behavior based on how healthy or unhealthy we are, holistically speaking. The movement of integration happens when we're crushing it and we've transcended the immature reactions of our ego. The movement of disintegration happens when we're caught up in our own BS and life is just too much for us. In both of these movements, we take on the best or worst traits of another Enneagram type. And this is where understanding the shape of the Enneagram really matters. You can see that the nine has lines connecting it to the type six and the type three. Those lines are the nine's movements of integration and disintegration. So when nines are not healthy, their movement of disintegration is to take on the worst traits of the type six loyalist and they become filled with anxiety. They deal with this anxiety like a six would. And since six are primarily concerned with their security, nines begin working frantically to secure their life by doubling down on their work and their relationships. Disintegrated nines tend to say yes to all the demands of their family, friends, and or their job out of fear rather than love. And so what happens is they become super passive aggressive because deep down they resent having to sacrifice their true desires in order to quell their anxiety and find some peace of mind. 
However, when nines are healthy, their movement of integration is to the type three achiever. This marks a major shift in the nines behavior as they finally learn to stand up for themselves, to go after their dreams and take practical disciplined steps towards self-improvement. The essence of the three is naturally assertive and self-confident. So integrated nines stop all that self-effacing behavior and find a new level of self-esteem that attracts the kind of opportunities and relationships they knew deep down were always possible. Okay, that's a broad overview of the movements of integration and disintegration for type nine peacemakers. Now let's go a little deeper into the variations of type nines based on their primary instinct. The Enneagram instincts describe the most basic ways we function in our daily lives. They are what make us truly human, and although we usually lean on one instinct more than another, everyone has all three within them to varying degrees. Typically, the pattern goes that we all have a primary instinct that determines most of how we respond to our environment, then a secondary instinct we use to support the primary instinct, and then a tertiary instinct that's usually repressed due to some trauma we experienced early on in life. So the three instincts are the social instinct, the self-preservation instinct, and the sexual instinct. Since I know the sexual instinct usually captures people's attention, I'll save that one for the end and kick it off with the self-preservation instinct. The self-preservation instinct focuses on our physical well-being. So nines that operate primarily out of their self-preservation instinct enjoy the simple material things in life. They like a cozy home and a nice meal. They tend to be super easygoing people who don't ask for much because they don't usually want that much. They are natural minimalists that tend to settle on whatever they grew up with and whatever's familiar. Sadly though, this instinct makes complacent nines even more complacent. And despite being very talented individuals, they just lack the energy, confidence, or support necessary to go after a better life. So again, they fall back on enjoying the little things in life, a pint of ice cream, a cold beer, a movie they've seen a million times, and not out of a refined sense of gratitude, but out of a sense of, well, I don't deserve much else than this. Self-preservation nines tend to numb their bigger desires by doing little chores and little tasks around the house, so they never have to tackle major projects or go after major goals. Self-pres nines often struggle with their weight because food becomes their main source of comfort as it keeps people coming together for meals and nines desperately wanna keep whoever they're familiar with in their life. All right, that's enough on the self-preservation instinct for the type nine. Now let's talk about the social instinct. Nines that operate primarily out of their social instinct are usually awesome people to be around. They're beloved by their friend groups since they're typically down for anything and rarely if ever have conflicts with people. Their desire for harmonious social interactions makes them super adaptable. Plus, they usually have a quick sense of humor, especially if they have an eight wing. Nines see and think a lot more than they say because they're terrified of rejection or conflict. And so they often stuff their true feelings and opinions so they can hide safely in the background of someone else's life or community. Now, when social nines finally feel like their environment is becoming overwhelming, they start to get really passive aggressive or they just pull the old silent treatment without actually having the courage to leave. And that's because they have a profound ability to be physically present while being mentally or emotionally absent. When unhealthy, social nines begin to fear that their rising anger will actually alienate their loved ones. And this becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because the nine's arrogance mixed with their distaste for conflict kills any chance of reconciliation once a conflict is broken out. Okay, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly of the social instinct. Last up is the sexual instinct. 
The sexual instinct is all about a desire for heightened experiences and one-on-one -on -one interactions, not just physical intercourse. So sexual nines look for intense, aggressive people to charge them up. They don't really feel capable of bringing their own energy to life, so they attach themselves to people with a deep emotional gas tank to kind of leech off of. Now, all nines have a bit of a hard time being independent people, but sexual nines have the hardest time fostering their own unique identity, which is ironic because those that typically know a sexual nine experience them as fun and witty and creative people. This makes sexual nines a bit of a catch, so they don't typically have a hard time finding a mate that they can merge identities with. Now in relationships, sexual nines can be so extremely codependent that they start merging identities to the point that they don't even think in terms of two individuals in a relationship, they start thinking of our life rather than my life with him or her. This makes it extremely difficult for sexual nines to see or accept their partner's flaws because it feels like our flaws rather than his or her flaws. This causes a great deal of dormant rage to fester within the sexual nine as they can't bring themselves to leave a loved one despite the chorus of critical thoughts and red flags that their partner has. In their unhealthy estate, sexual nines just find an equally codependent mate and together they go down with the ship. All right, sorry to keep ending on a, a bleak note there with the instincts, but just kind of the way it played out. Time to shift gears and talk about where the type nine lands in each of the Enneagram triads. If you haven't listened to any of the other personality type overviews yet, then you may not know that there are actually three triad systems within the Enneagram. Usually folks just talk about the triad centers of the head, the heart, and the gut but there are actually two more triads, the harmonic triad and the hornevian triad. I'll get to those other two in a moment, but let's start off with the triad centers. Type nine peacemakers are in the gut group, which is also called the body group, along with type eight challengers and type one reformers. Nines are actually the impinged type of the gut group, which just means that they're in the middle of their triad, and so they're the most blind to all the issues that gut types have. So eights, nines, and ones all struggle with rage due to their lack of control over their environment. Eights externalize their rage because it feels powerful, ones suppress their rage because it feels morally wrong, and nines just try to ignore it completely. But that causes nines to have unexpected explosions of anger and then feel ashamed about it. So they have the issues of both eights and ones, which is why they're impinged. Okay, that's the triad centers in a nutshell. Now let's talk about the harmonic triad, which describes the general ways we choose to cope with pain, trauma, or even minor setbacks. The three groups within the harmonic triad are the reactive group, the competency group, and the positive outlook group. Nines are in the positive outlook group alongside type two helpers and type seven enthusiasts. The positive outlook group deals with pain exactly how it sounds, and they are masters at finding the silver lining. For nines though, they're just in denial about how bad things are because their greatest fear is a loss of harmony and connection. Nines really need help processing hard feelings like grief in order for their positive outlook to be grounded in reality rather than their hardwired instinct to avoid pain. All right, last up is the Hornevian triad, which groups Enneagram types based on their social behaviors. The three groups within the Hornevian triad are the assertive group, the compliant group, and the withdrawn group. Nines are in the withdrawn group, along with type five investigators and type four individualists. Peacemakers deal with social discomfort by withdrawing into themselves. Nines may be able to keep themselves physically present with the group and stay out partying late into the night, but they withdrew into their mind hours before the night ended and have been daydreaming about exactly what they're going to watch, read, or eat when they get home. If nines don't have a strong social instinct, it can be incredibly difficult to get them out of the house and into the world to experience anything even mildly adventurous. 
All right, that's where nines fall within each of the three Enneagram triads. Now, I know that the Enneagram can be really uncomfortable at times because it's super specific and super critical. It's not a big celebration of our unique personality. And instead, the Enneagram sees personality types as the set of behaviors we take on to survive in the world. It's ego-driven. And the real you, what the Enneagram calls your essence, lays beneath that personality. So that's why I like to end these episodes with some practical tips and reminders to help you notice your personality in action so you can make informed decisions to either live into that personality or transcend it and tap into your essence. So first up, and one of the biggest things that nines need to practice is getting into their bodies. Nines have a really hard time tapping into their emotions, especially anger or grief or aggression of any kind. And things like exercise, yoga, or even competitive sports are a great place for nines to start feeling their feelings. Next, remember that nines are in their healthiest state when they can comfortably face negative emotions. Nines are pretty prone to harboring resentment for other people, so it's a wise practice to have honest conversations in the moment if someone close to you has hurt your feelings, rather than letting things fester and waiting and saying, oh, you'll deal with that another day. Okay, next, nines love to go with the flow at the cost of losing their voice within the group. Nines would really become happier and healthier if they practice speaking up for themselves. Even if it's just saying, I'm a bit tired, but if you really wanna go, I'll come along. Nines should notice when they've started to drift mentally within a conversation because they just simply don't wanna be there. It's okay to tap out and let other people know what you need. All right, last thing I'll say is that nines really, really need to notice when they've put their life into cruise control. Because nines love the status quo, they will coast in less than optimal situations for decades at a time. Many older nines report feeling like they've never truly lived their life because they got swept up in some job or some relationship that made all their choices for them. I know that nines are filled with unique interests and desires, but it's gonna feel incredibly uncomfortable for them to put the spotlight on themselves and go after those interests and deep passions. So nines would do well to practice making conscious decisions about how they spend their free time, what they do with their money, who they hang out with, and especially what they do for work, because all those little decisions add up to a life they can be proud of. All right, that's enough preaching from me. I hope all this information helped you understand the type nine peacemaker a bit better. And if you're still on the fence about whether or not you're a type nine, well, I've got one last bonus section of information for you that's a bit less scholastic in nature. Every Enneagram type can be connected to a country or two with a culture that embodies their core personality traits. For the type nine peacemaker, those countries are Sweden and Jamaica. Think about remaining neutral in World War II and then having the chillest attitude about life 24 seven. Now, when it comes to the type nine spirit animal, there are two. First is the elephant and second is the dolphin. Such sweet, gentle little creatures. All right, last topic is famous type nines and the Enneagram Institute lists Walt Disney, Mr. Rogers, Jack Johnson, James Taylor, and Morgan Freeman. Really wish he could have narrated this whole episode. Oh, and in the Marvel Universe, I think there are two type nine peacemakers, but it's up for debate. First is Bruce Banner, since his whole struggle is getting in touch with his subconscious pool of anger. And next is my personal favorite, and that's Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy, because we are Groot is the most peacemaker line ever. All right, friends, that's a wrap on this personality type overview of the type nine peacemaker. I hope you enjoyed it. But most of all, I hope it helps you understand type nines a bit better. And if you are a type nine, 
please feel free to share your personal experience with me in the comments or tell me what did or didn't resonate with you. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please do me a solid and hit the like button, share it with your friends, or if you really wanna show some love, subscribe to the channel. Would love to have you in the YGAT fam. I really do appreciate and notice every single act of support y'all throw my way because I spend a ton of time and energy trying to make this information easy to digest and also hopefully to make it enjoyable to learn without being super cliche. Again, sorry about the whole spirit animal, spirit country shit. Also, if you're ever confused about anything I said, please don't hesitate to drop me a question in the comments. I do my best to respond to basically every comment I get. Uh, lastly, if you wanna work together, either one-on-one or in a more corporate setting, just go to you'vegotatype.com and fill out a contact card. Tell me what you're into and we'll make it happen. As always, I'm your host, Colton Simmons, and thanks for listening to You've Got a Type.